Praise God. As you are aware, your pastor is not here. Every fifth Sabbath, he is going to take a sabbatical. And of all of the places to go, <laughs> he chose to go to New York City. And I said, did you hear about the snowstorm last night? And he looked at me. <laughs> Craig and I were talking to him. And he said, what snowstorm? I said, you didn't hear? <laughs> so we want you to pray for him. Uh, I don't know what kind of sabbatical it's going to be, but just pray for him. <laughs> Praise God. This week has been a week of weeks. Now, for those of you who were not here for power night, you missed it. And I want to tell you, this young man here, Chris, and also Dwayne, were testified. And I don't think there was a dry eye in the place. God is a good God. And I'm going to tell you, after Chris's testimony of how God saved him from a certain death, and how the Lord blessed both him and Dwayne to be free from substance abuse, and they are here to serve the living God. This week was a week of weeks for me. As a matter of fact, I didn't even tell my wife how bad things were going. And she didn't know. But I began to pray in the middle of the week that what the Lord would do, he would send a ram in the thicket to preach today instead of me. That's how bad things got for me. And so on Wednesday night at 2 a.m., the normal time that I get up to pray and study, the devil had so locked my mind that I couldn't even pray. And so after two and a half hours of struggling just to pray, I gave up. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to send a ram in the thicket for me today. And the Lord said, no, you're the ram. <laughs> and I want to tell you what I have learned in the years that I've been in this church. That we are in spiritual warfare. And there is no discharge in this war. There are no bivouacs in this war. There are no R&Rs in this war. Every day is a day of battle. And so today, I've come to talk to you about the devil's business. When I heard the pastor's message on last week, I knew that God was right on with this message. And I knew why the devil was fighting me so. And I said, Lord, the only way that I can prevail against him is if you give me power. And so it wasn't until... Friday morning, as I poured my heart out to God and got up from my bed with my burden gone, that I said, praise God. And so I'm standing before you this afternoon by the grace of God. And so we're going to talk about today the devil's business. And so I want you to take your Bible and turn to one of the most familiar passages of scripture in the word. Ephesians chapter 6 and I'm going to read in your hearing verses 10 through 18. The devil's business. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, against the strategies of the devil, against the cunning of the devil, against the devices of the devil, against the schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, 
Take unto you the whole armor of God. Now notice this. This is not an invitation. This is a command. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. That ye may be able not to attack the devil, the Bible says, but to withstand in the evil day, having done all to do what? To stand. It says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, Wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, not some of the fiery darts of the wicked. The Bible says all of the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. Let's pray. Father which art in heaven, honor your word, glorify yourself, bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. If there ever was a book in the Old Testament that is the Christian's handbook on spiritual warfare, it is the book of Joshua. But before we go to the book of Joshua, let's go to the book of Romans chapter 15 and let's read verse 4 together. What book? What chapter? What verse? When you find it, say amen. The Bible says, come on, let's read it together. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, our instruction, that we through patience... And comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So the Bible says that those things that were written in the past, they are written so that you and I might have endurance and that we might be encouraged with hope. That's what the Bible says. Now let's turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 9. The devil's business. In the book of Joshua, we discover many stratagem of the devil. But today, we're only going to talk about one of his stratagem. We're going to talk about deception. The Israelites in chapter 8 had just come from a resounding victory over the inhabitants of the city of Ai. And so they had gone back to Gilgal, but they didn't have time to rest on their laurels. Because in verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass, Joshua 9, verse 1, When all the kings which were on this side, Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coast of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof. What did they hear? They heard that Ai had been defeated. Now Ai was a mighty city. And the Bible says, it says that they gathered themselves together to do what? To fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai. They did work willily and went and made as if they had been what? Ambassadors. Now notice what they took. The Bible says and took what kind of sacks? Upon their asses and wine bottles. How? Old and rent and bound up and shoes and clouded upon their feet and garments upon them and all the bread of their provision was what? It was dry and moldy. And so the inhabitants of Gibeon, they were next on the list of cities to be destroyed by Israel. And so they got together. And so they hatched a plan. And they said, what we will do, we will disguise ourselves. <laughs> 
And so we just read what they did. And so you can imagine as Israel rejoicing over a victory. Now they see coming down the hillside a strange deputation. And as the men got closer, listen to what they said. Verse 6, and they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him, to the men of Israel, we become from where? A far country. Now therefore, make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are servants. Now notice what Israel said. Suppose you live among us. Why should we make a league with you? And instead of answering them, they simply said, we are your servants. <laughs> now notice, Joshua is suspicious. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country, thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God, for we have heard the fame of him. As I've read this story over and over, and I've wondered to myself, how was it that the leaders of Israel, fresh from victory, how could they have been deceived? Joshua, as he listened to them, knew that they spoke a northwestern Semitic dialect. And so he was suspicious. He knew that Hivites were in the land already. And as he looked at their clothing, he saw that their shoes had been mended, their faces dust streaked, their body odor was rank. They claimed to have come from a great distance. Their wine skins were cracked and patched up. And so what they did, listen to what they did and what they said. Well, we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, the king of Bashan, which was at Ashtoreth. Now notice what they did. They did not mention the victories at Jericho and Ai. Because if they had come from a long distance, how would they know? You see, and as Joshua looked at them, Something told him that something wasn't right. And notice what the men did. Verse 11. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us saying, Take victuals with you for the journey and go meet them and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which were filled were new. And behold, they be rent. And these are garments. And our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. Verse 14. Notice what they did. Not the Gibeonites, but the men of Israel. The Bible says, and the men took of their victuals. And so they sampled their bread. They tasted their wine. It was fermented. And they trusted their senses. And then the last clause on the end of that verse says, And ask not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. How often have we made decisions without seeking God first? Only to discover <laughs> that we made the wrong decision. And so the devil's trump card in the end time is seeing, is believing. And so in the end time, the devil is going to work through an appeal to our senses. And so as they tasted the moldy bread and the fermented wine, and as they looked at their clothes, 
they determined that these individuals must be telling the truth. But they didn't pray about it. Now this act that Israel committed to, they brought God in it. Because they made a covenant with the Gibeonites in the name of the Lord. And so listen to me, every time we sin, we bring God in it. And so the devil knows that if he can deceive the people of God through their senses, that more often than not, victory is assured. And so when the child of God, thinking somehow that they've gotten something, only to discover that they've been hoodwinked by the devil. Now the devil's strategy is never a frontal assault. I remember when I was in Vietnam, 55,000 young Americans were killed in Vietnam. And it was a different type of war that the United States discovered that we were soon in. And so they discovered that the enemy, when they fled through the jungle before the American troops, it would seem as if they would vanish in midair. What the Americans didn't know, that they had dug thousands of miles of subterranean tunnels. And so as they fled through the, the jungle, they knew where the holes were. They would drop down into the holes, down in the holes, out of sight. And so as the Americans would pass by, they would come up and ambush them. And so thousands of, of Americans were killed this way. They would take woven baskets and put them on the left or the right side of the road. And as uh, the Americans would drive the truck on the other side, that's the side that was booby-trapped. And so they dug foxholes in certain areas. And as the patrols were going through the countryside and they drew sniper fire, the Americans would jump in these foxholes only to discover that they had been booby-trapped. On the bottom of the, the foxholes, they had bungee sticks sharpened bamboo and when they jumped down in the foxholes it thrust through the bottom of the soles of their boots and it crippled them and there were grenades set on either side of the foxhole and they detonated them and they blew the heads of the soldiers off you see the devil is a master strategist and so it's not the frontal assault it's guerrilla welfare warfare and so what the devil used here, listen, to waylay Israel, it was not a frontal assault, it was deception. And so who was it that fell for it? Even the very leaders of Israel. And so the Bible tells us that the time is coming when even the very elect, if possible, will be deceived. And so it's not by what we see. If our minds are not fortified with the word of God, we're going to be deceived. Now, what, what, what were the consequences of Israel's deception? Verse 16, and it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors. Three days. Somehow word got back to Israel. Guess what? These men... <laughs> They were not ambassadors from a far country. They were your neighbors. Now somehow they heard the word of God that was given to the nation of Israel. That if some nations come from afar and they are seeking peace, then it's okay to make a league with them. But there are certain individuals in the land of Canaan, you are to utterly destroy them. And the children of Israel, verse 17, journeyed and came unto their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shiproth, Shiproth Beeroth, Kirjath, Jerem. And the children of Israel smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation of Israel murmured against the princes. And so the nation was angry at its leaders. How could you have led us into this delusion? 
It was the devil's business. And so often today, we are led to make a league with the devil. Ask a young man or a young lady who marries outside of the church. And so once they have taken the vow at the altar, they cannot go back and divorce them later. A couple of years ago, I got a phone call, woman from another church, same age as I am. And she wanted me to read scriptures at her wedding and also to say the prayer of consecration once they were married. So I said, let me ask you a few questions. I said, how long have you known him? And she said, well, I've known him for quite some time. I said, well, how long have you dated him? And she said, three months. <laughs> I said, three months. And she said, yes. I said, question number two. I said, can you honestly tell me that God brought the two of you together? And she said, well, 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 uh, well no. I'm Elder Tate, no. I said, last question. Uh, if you dated him for three months, two months, three months, you're engaged, do you love him? And she told me no. She said, well, when we get married, I, I believe we're going to fall in love. And so I told her, I said, listen to me clearly. I said, God has not brought the two of you together. And I said, you will not use my reputation to dignify what you're about to do. I will not be in your wedding. She began to cry on the telephone. And I said, now listen. I have to tell you what God is telling me. And so she didn't listen. <laughs> and three weeks after her wedding, on a Friday night, my phone rang. It was her. And she was in tears. And she said, everything that you said was true. But it was too late. She had made a league with the Gibeonites. Now listen to me. You're laughing and clapping your hands. Don't you know that every time that we sin, because it's the devil's business, we make a league with a Gibeonite. And so it's not just those who marry out of the church. Sometimes it's those who marry in the church. And so last spring, I received another phone call. And a woman told me, she said, Elder Tate, I'm having problems in my marriage. She said, can you come by and talk to me? And so I set up a date. Sandra and I went over there to talk to her. And let me tell you what we discovered. Here was a church member. And I remember before her wedding, she called me. And she asked me what did I think. She gave me all of the details. And I said, you need to listen to what I'm going to say. I said, I will not attend your wedding. Don't bother to send me an invitation because I do not believe that God is in this. But she didn't listen. She got married anyway. And let me tell you what happened. When my wife and I went over and sat down and talked to her, she began to cry and she began to tell us the sordid details of her predicament. She woke up one night and went into the bedroom of one of her children and she discovered that in the bedroom of her daughter that there was blood on her mattress and all of the signs indicated that it was her husband who was the father of this three-year-old girl who had molested her after his wife fell asleep. And so she took her daughter up, rushed her to the hospital. They took samples. Now listen, saints, because what I'm telling you, I'm talking about the devil's business.
the samples when tested came back positive. It was his semen. And so he was thrown out of the house. A court date was set. He was convicted of the crime. But before the court date, she let him back into the house. Now listen to me. Because he said he didn't do it, he was framed. And while he was in the bathroom, another one of her children, she overheard the child tell the father, Daddy, I'm glad you're back, but please, Daddy, no more licking and no more rubbing. And so for about a month and a half, every single week, we went over to her house and we prayed with her and we encouraged her. And pretty soon the phone call stopped. And we discovered that after he had been convicted, that she let him back into the house. And to this day, he's in the home. One of the devil's ace cards in the end time. <laughs> Seeing is believing. She saw it. She didn't believe it. She believed him. And so he's at home. And I want you to pray for them because it's unresolved. And so efforts have been made to contact the county where they live. But to no avail. And so the consequences now, who knows how they're going to turn out. And I remember that there were times when my wife and I was in the home that a daughter would come, three years old, and she would lay down on the floor and stick her hands in her panties and fondle herself. Three years old. Why? Because she asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And so if you somehow think, if you somehow think, not me, listen, not only will the devil fool you, he will make a fool out of you. And so here was another instance where someone made a league with the Gibeonite. And let me tell you something, it never fails. Whenever someone talks to me about their marriage and they tell me, that they made a mistake, I always ask them the same question. Didn't God speak to you before you made the mistake? I don't believe that if you seek the Lord earnestly in prayer, that God is not going to talk to you. And so in almost every instance, the answer is yes, he spoke to me. And so my question is, why didn't you listen? There was a couple, Christian couple. Listen, both of them well-educated. They bought a home for $1.5 million. <laughs> and then the housing market crashed. And so they discovered that their home was worth, must, worth much less than they paid for it. <laughs> Christians now. And this is what they were wavering in. They entered into the contract in good faith. But what they were now paying for their home, they could rent a home for the same value for less than half of what they were paying for their mortgage. And so as Christians, what they were, what they were wrestling with is should we walk away from the house? <laughs> you see, often we think that how could Israel have been duped when we do the same thing? And so every time that we sin, listen, we bring God in the pickle with us. And I want you to know this. Come on, turn with me in your Bibles. Luke chapter 8. As we look at the devil's business. Because I want to get a little deeper in his business. 
the devil's business. Luke chapter 8 verse 12. Now you know the parable about the sower. And so here in verse 12, notice what the Bible says. It says, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. There are three things that we're going to look at very quickly here that the devil does. Number one, we're going to look at his punctuality. The devil is always on time. The Bible says, then, notice what it says, then the devil cometh. Have you ever noticed that whenever an animal drops in the Serengeti, there always appears vultures where seemingly there were none in the sky before. <laughs> and so whenever the word of God is taught or preached with power, listen, the Bible says, then he comes immediately. Mark's gospel, immediately. The devil is punctual. And so it wasn't a mistake in the book of Joshua when the devil came with this scheme. They were fresh from victory. And folk, that's how I felt this week. Wednesday night was an excellent night. My wife and I went home rejoicing only for me to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and couldn't even pray. The Bible says, then, now notice in the parable, it says, then cometh the devil. And I want you to know when he comes, he comes. <laughs> and he does not tarry. And so only if we could emulate this characteristic of Satan. Now that sounds strange, doesn't it? We ought to be punctual. In our relationships with both God and man. Should we not? And so the Bible says then. Now notice what happens. And the Bible says. And taketh away the word out of their hearts. Number one. His punctuality. Number two. His power. His sagacity. Don't you know. That the devil will always be more than a match for you and I in our strength. And so even though he is an angel fallen and he has lost his glory, he has not lost his power. And so if you think somehow that what you can do, you can stand toe to toe, toe with the devil and win, listen, you are sadly mistaken. Now what's interesting about this part of the parable, when it says, then he comes and he taketh the seed, his power, do you know where he gets his power from? He gets it from you and I. Because when we hear the word and we continue to sin, when we hear the word and we continue to sin, the heart becomes hard. <laughs> and so what does the seed do? It lays on the surface of the ground. And so what we do, we help the devil in his business, the devil's business. And so the devil gets a part of his power from the hardened heart. And so it's easy then for the devil to take the word out of the heart if our hearts are hard. And so there are some people who are sitting here today who are saying to themselves, it doesn't make any difference what's said, I'm going to continue to do what I do. There are some individuals today who already have their mind made up to go out tonight when the sun sets and party. There are some individuals who have made rendezvous with someone's wife or husband. And they are determined, doesn't make any difference what the word is spoken today, they're going. <laughs> there are some who came with their tithe today and they're going to leave with their tithe. And so we make the devil's work easy by a hard heart. So his punctuality, his power, and then last but not least, his purpose. It says, lest they should do what? Believe and are saved. God has joined belief with salvation. No faith, no salvation. And so the reason why the devil is adamant and snatching the seed is so that hopefully you will not believe. And so often, let me tell you what we do. Like Gibeonites, 
See, this is what the devil knows. <laughs> if the word finds no lodging place in our hearts, like the Gibeonites, we are dressed in the rags of our own righteousness. And though we look like saints of God who are on a mission for God, our shoes have been patched and repaired. And so guess what? The bread that should be hot from heaven is dry and moldy. And so the wine, which is a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ, is fermented. It has no effect on my sin. In essence, we become Gibeonites. And so in the house of God, we're here not for legitimate purposes, but for deception. Yes, we, we look good, like we've come from afar, <laughs> working for the Lord. But if the truth were known, our clothes are old, <laughs> our shoes are patched, <laughs> our bread is molded, our wine is fermented. And so his punctuality, his power, his purpose, the devil's business, and so to you, Glenville, how are you dressed today? Now, what makes us dress like this is that we've made a league with the Gibeonites. We've made a league with the devil. And so repeated transgression. Repeated transgression. Habitual sin causes the bread of God that was once fresh to me. Now it's moldy. You see, it doesn't nourish. Mold makes sick. Joshua 9. Come on, because I'm hastening to my clothes. Joshua 9. Now look at verse 19, but all the, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 18, and the children of Israel smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation murmured against the princes, but all the princes said unto all the congregation, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. <laughs> this we will do to them. We will even let them live. What happens to a saint when he has entered into a league with the devil? And so his sin now becomes a part of his life. <laughs> uh, not too long ago, I heard a story of a woman fooling around on her husband. She got pregnant. She didn't tell him. And so for 20 years, the child that he raised was not his. Until one day, he needed the father surgery. And so the son wanted to be an organ donor for his father. And so the tests were made to see if he would be a compatible match when it was discovered that it wasn't even his son. And so for 20 years, his resources, took care of who he thought was his son. And so our sins then link us to the Gibeonites of whom we bring God into the picture with us when we sin. Now notice what Israel did with the Gibeonites because they could not destroy them. Verse 23, Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from the bondmen. They made slaves out of them. And hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And so what they did, they made servants out of them. But where they put them, they put them 
under the guidance of the priest of the sanctuary to work in the sanctuary. And so what happened now, I want you to understand something. When we sin, and there are times when the consequences of our sins will live until we die. But when we bring God into the occasion, (laughs) God brings us close to his house. So that even though the sin has hobbled us, there is still victory. Now listen to what happens. Listen to what happens. Chapter 10, I want you to see this about these individuals. And I want to start with verse 1. Now it came to pass when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it. As he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king. And how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they did what? Because Gibeon, notice now, was a great city as one of the royal cities because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. The individuals that came to Joshua... Listen, these were not wimps. These were men of valor. You see, the city of Gibeon was a royal city. It was where the kings lived in that region. That's where the garrison was or the army. Gibeon was the place where the soldiers honed their skills. And so they honed them to perfection so that not one man in the vast army of Gideon was a weakling. He was a mighty man of valor. And so here now, Israel takes a city of mighty men, not one city, four cities. And they make them perform the most menial tasks. Chop wood, haul water. You see, it's the devil's steady stratagem to take men and women who are mighty in God. Come on with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Come on, let's go there, verse 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Don't you know that as Christians, listen, by the grace of God, we are mighty. Have you recognized your potential as a child of God? 2 Corinthians, come on, chapter 10, verse 4. Come on, read verse 4 with me. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly. But notice the next two words, but what? They are mighty. Now, if that's the case then, if the weapons that God has given us to war are mighty, does not that make you a mighty man or woman of God? And so what the devil wants to do with our lead, with the Gibeonite, he wants to make us hewers of wood and haulers of water. And so in the church today, we have a whole church filled with mighty men and women. But unfortunately, it seems like the vast majority of us are chopping wood and hauling water. And so every Sabbath, we come up in here, we get our praise on, and all we do is go home, overeat, and go to bed. And so not one person on the sick list receives the benefit of a member's visit in this church. How come? Because we've made a league with a Gibeonite. And we wonder somehow, why is it, dear God, that I'm not gaining victories in my life? Because we aren't doing anything. When was the last time you gave someone a Bible study or passed out a track or went to the nursing home? But now notice what God did. The mercy that God had on both Israel and the Gibeonites. Now after the ruse, after it was discovered that here was a city only three miles from Gilgal, listen to what happens. Folks, I'm going to tell you, I was blessed as I read this this week. Let me read the, the rest of the verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of what? Of strongholds. There isn't anything in your life that by the grace of God, God has not given us the power to overcome. Yes, sir. 
you see what God gave to Israel in the land of Canaan was two things. Number one, it was material prosperity. Number two, it was victory over all of her enemies. And so what God wants to give us is spiritual prosperity. Do you follow me? And victory over all of our enemies. If Israel had have remained faithful, they wouldn't have lost one battle. As a matter of fact, there was only one time when they lost the battle, and that was when they went to Ai without counsel from God. And so what God's desire is, is for us to be victorious in every battle. And so when we come to power night, everybody should have a testimony about how we got over. About what God has done for us. And so when we came to church on the Sabbath, it wouldn't be all the time about praise. It would be about testimony. Praise God for Brother Burks today. What God has done. And so most of the time when we testify, our testimonies are old and moldy. No fresh testimonies because there's no fresh experiences with God. Come on, let's go back to Joshua chapter 10 as I close. Joshua chapter 10. Don't you know that I know that there are some of us today who've made a league with a Gibeonite. And we're under bondage today. And I want you to know something. We read in verse 1 that this Canaanite king was angry because the inhabitants of Gibeon had made a league with Israel. And so what does he do? He rounds up his comrades and he says, let's go and punish Gibeon. And so the Gibeonites on the inside send word to Joshua. And they say, come and help us. Now it would have been easy. For Joshua and the Israelites to say, if Adonisiac destroys Gibeon, we don't have to destroy the city ourselves. Let them kill each other. But now notice when they made the league with the Gibeonites, they made it in the name of God. And so now God moved from before Israel for the destruction of Gibeon behind Gibeon for its preservation and salvation. And so when I mess up, I bring God into the equation. But what God does when I repent, he moves from before me to behind me to take care of my back. And so we discover here that what God did, he performed one of the greatest miracles that are written in the Old Testament in a battle. Come on, look at verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, son, stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Don't you know that even though you goofed up, we've made leagues with Gibeonites. We've bound ourselves because of our sins with them. But God says that if we repent, he's going to move from before us. For our destruction. He's going to move behind us. To support us. And so that the miracles that take place in my life. From henceforth. Are going to be greater than the miracles that took place heretofore. And so today. Michelle give me a little traveling music. And so today, we, self-included, have made a league with Gibeon and the Gibeonites. And so there are sins in our lives. That prevent you and I from being the mighty men and women of valor that God has ordained. 
And so we become servants to our sins. And so you know what I'm talking about. You know how guilty you feel when you come to church. Your prayer life is in shambles. You know that you're dressed in old clothes. Your feet are not shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your bread has become molded. And so the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from sin, but because of repeated transgression, has become of no effect. And so like the Gibeonites, we shuffle in church for one purpose and one purpose only. The devil uses us to deceive others into making them think that we're not what we are. And so no prayer, no power. No reading the, the word of God, no power. No blood of Jesus, no power. Captives in the city of Glenville. Gibeonites. But the Lord has come forward today. And he wants to take what we have allowed to make us servants of sin. And he wants to set us free. And so today I want to invite someone. And I want to be the first one to admit. I've made a league with a Gibeonite. But the Lord has set me free. <laughs> and the same thing that God has done for me. Listen, he can do for you. And so there is someone here today, you know that God is speaking to you. You know that you have the potential to be a mighty man or woman of valor. But you've been humbled to servitude compared to chopping wood and hauling water. <laughs> but God wants to make you again a mighty man or woman of valor. 